In the 50s, no one talked about being bipolar, but my mother often scolded me not to give in to those highs and lows. I think she was just afraid, and she caused me to be afraid too. I did have highs and lows, especially as a teenager. I think most teenagers do. But I lived much of my life trying to be the stable and solid member of our family. I learned to avoid the dreaded extremes by being suspicious and critical of any desire that raised the tide of anticipation. I wanted to try out for a play, but I talked myself out of it by focusing on my failures. I wanted to answer questions in class, but feared that my answers might sound stupid if they were different from what someone else might say. I wanted to talk with a cute boy, but I chose to sit quietly in study hall and keep my head down. I poked holes in desire so that it would sink before it sank me. Even now, sometimes, it feels risky and selfish to desire, ask, and choose space and time for myself. I find it much easier to support the desires of my husband and my children and grandchildren. It has been safer and easier to birth their dreams than to nurture mine. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Ransom Heart Podcast. This is Stacy Eldridge, and I'm here with John and Becky Allender, the author of Hidden in Plain Sight, One Woman's Search for Identity, Intimacy, and Calling, from whom that excerpt was taken. Hi, Becky. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Stacy. Hi, John. It's great to be here. Yes, we are actually sitting in a closet. <laughs> in order to get a decent recording, we're here on the road with our friends Dan and Becky, and Becky has taken an enormous step in her personal journey to come out of hiding, in a sense, and uh, write a beautiful book. As Stacy knows, it is hard to be married to a man who has a public life, and it makes it even harder to find your own voice and to to take a step out in that direction. So we're just really proud of you and really glad to talk about that story today. Thank you. Thank you. So Becky, your story echoes so many women's. And I love in this book how you tell stories kind of reclaiming your own history and stories from your past, honoring your story and then bringing into the present because you have so much life to offer there. Why did you write it? Well, first I've heard Dan say so often, and it's in scripture, it's the kindness of God that leads to redemption. And I saw so many people go through uh, his teaching or his conferences, and then I got to know them, and I'd see them enter one way and then leave another way. And I really was hungry. Like, what did they receive? And it seemed like my plate was full with other things to do until... At one point, it was time. It was just time for me to partake of some of the training, of some of the extravagance of spending time on my own story. So once I began that journey, and once I began sharing with people and receiving from them kindness, as well as me doing the same thing with them, it just all kind of flowed pretty easily. And part of that process was in remembering and then in writing And then it was always so intriguing to me that when I read what I had written, that also was a deeper layer that became clear of God's heart for me. So even in the process of writing, he took you deeper and into more. He did. I mean, who thinks of taking time to write about an incident in the fourth grade or in eighth grade? It it seems like there's always so much to do 
on behalf of others or at work that why would you take time for that? Yeah. And you didn't set out to write a book. You <laughs> set out to write about your story. Yes. And, uh -huh. and make sense of mm -hmm. your story to mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, it was in community, which again, I would read Dan's books or I would hear him say, you need to be in community. Well, that community is kind of hard to find. Yeah. A contained, safe group of people. So you receive their stories and they receive your stories. And it's it, was, it became a very holy experience that was unexpected to me. Knowing you over the years and knowing your story, Hidden in Plain Sight is a perfect title. Like, that's been the story of your life. That has, yeah. And marrying Dan really just, that was really quite easy to ease into that story. And I didn't feel like being hidden. I didn't feel like a wallflower. I was a quiet person always. But also, I like the idea of hidden in plain sight. God, God is hidden in plain sight. Awful. Oh, that's so good. Mm. And we don't see how he is there for us. And... Also, hidden in plain sight, as in the beginning of the book, I talk about when my father died and my mom died, each time they were either in the process of dying or right after their funeral, I found their diary that they left for me in their closet. My dad, while he was in hospice care, I opened his closet one afternoon and there was his five-year diary from when he was 15 years old until he was in the Navy in wow. World War II. And then, lo and behold, the next year, my mother died of a heart attack after her funeral. I went home, opened her closet door, and her five-year diary was there. So there are so many things hidden in plain sight that we are just missing all the time. Mm. Near the beginning of your book, you, you say that part of your reason for writing is so that your grandchildren know you. Yes, yes, that was so um, heartbreaking to me when I was able to step into my parents' lives and read about their heartaches or their struggles. We just missed so much intimacy with one another because so many stories were never told and shared. Once someone dies, that's it. So I didn't want my children to ever feel that way or my grandchildren mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. my grandchildren really won't be that curious right. until they're older. What's the effect been for your children reading this? I think they're really proud of me. And yes. that, that was huge to realize that. I'm just still amazed that they are proud of me. And I think it's off allowed us more conversation, more intimacy with one another and I can only see that that will grow even more. Yeah. What's your hope for a person picking this up and reading it? But what would you love to see happen for them? Oh, just redemption and freedom. Mm. I think we all hide at times, even if you're a public extrovert who is very well known, there are still moments that cause each one of us to hide just as Adam and Eve had to hide in the garden, when they disobey God, they were ashamed. We have moments as being a human being where there is, we're hit by our own shame. Mm -hmm. And so becoming more tender and kind with our failures or with whatever happens in our life is huge to receive 
God's tenderness, his kindness. He doesn't see us as that flawed mother or that flawed fourth grader. He delights in us. And so it's learning to not stay in the shame, but learning to receive his love and his kindness and um, being able to begin to see how he delights in us. I mean, it's pretty difficult. It's easier for me to notice my flaws and to speak of my flaws than to speak of my glory, my goodness. Right, right. One of my favorite movies is The King's Speech, that wonderful film that came out about the King of England who had the speech impediment, and he finds a speech therapist who helps him. And there's this marvelous moment where he becomes a close, close friend, but at the time his speech therapist is really provoking him. You know, why should we listen to you? Why do you have, you know, why do you have a right to even be here? And and finally, he gets the king to say something. And the king yells, because I have a voice. Hmm. Wow, yeah. Because I have a voice. That is such a moving moment in that film because he feels like he's speaking for every person. Mm-hmm. And especially every person who hasn't been invited to have a voice. I want to hear a little bit more about your story of coming to have a voice. So first, talk about your childhood. Talk about, were you an outspoken little girl? Were, were you bold and loquacious? Were, were you verbal? I was a cautious child around my mother who always seemed to have so many things to do. If it was sewing or volunteer work or being vocal in a church setting, I learned to stay out of her way. And sometimes she would be very vocal and unkind to people in public places like restaurants or stores. And I would be mortified of her unkindness. So I learned to, um, in some ways, swallow her shame. I would never confront her, but I learned to be very, very cautious around her because in my mind, there was no way to win. And with my father, I could receive his delight. He was much more playful, but also sometimes he was in um, a depression. So that was precarious when I could really come alive and be free. So I was a very cautious person, but my parents also had a tumultuous marriage. And so at the dinner table, who was ever the underdog, I usually um, would speak up on, on their behalf, which was not a wise thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I never really grew in wisdom in that area of seeing someone be pummeled. So and I was fierce, but you know, quiet. But too. careful. Yes. Careful with your words. Careful with your timing. Mm-hmm. The opening excerpt that Stacy read you mentioned that back in the 50s, there wasn't a word for things like bipolar or various personality issues. Was that, was that mom or dad? Who? That was my father. Yes, yes. He would either be just gregarious and fun, or he would look like his eyes were 100 years old, and, and I would really want to cheer him up, but couldn't. Couldn't do that at those times. What do those extremes do to a little girl? Didn't make life seem very safe. And in some ways, I learned to love Jesus at a very young age. 
because I did feel his love. And he felt safe? He did. Yeah. So when did you start to realize that you had squelched your voice? When, when in your adult years did you begin to realize, wow, I'm a very cautious person with my voice? It's hard to remember because I think I've always squelched my voice from elementary school on, even before then. But I think when it became unbearable is, um, well, in God's timing, when it was really time for me to take an extravagant year of looking at my own story with other people. And that, mm. again, was through the Certificate Program of Trauma and Abuse through the Allender Center. Mm -hmm. I had been the intercessor for that for three or four years, and then I just really wanted to have a taste of that myself. And it, it was life-changing. I wish you could see Becky's eyes, just how alive and bright they are as she speaks. Because part of the encouragement that we want to give and that she gives in her words in this really fabulous book is the encouragement to look at your own story and to honor it. And, and that requires you to remember. I love this section where you write about how God remembers us, hmm. how he always remembers us and he delights in us, how how previous to the revelation of who he is, um, pagans are, they used to engrave in their hands the name of their gods, mm -hmm. but our God engraves our names in his hand. Yes. I, I, I love that. Isn't it amazing? And I think the more we focus on how much he loves us and his desire to be intimate with us, then we realize, well, we want to be intimate with him. And that's where our identity comes from with that intimacy with him. And you have to have more than God. You have to have it with other people. And so yes. taking, taking risks of kindness towards my own story, but also the stories of others. It feels like this book is an enormous risk. It is. It is. And at times I'm very ashamed of the title. It's <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding. I allowed that title because it's the very thing that I have felt deficient for, not being more visible. But yet, I know that's the lie of the enemy. Yes. That is not at all how this book came about. It's so different than that. But yeah, it's a risk. But I think it's it's time. I hear Jesus say, oh, come on. Come on, Becky. Yeah, it's a risk because it's vulnerable, it's truthful, it's honest, it's putting it out there, but it's so inviting. Mm -hmm. It's so you love Jesus so much. He's woven throughout all of the pages, and it's ultimately his light on your story, mm -hmm. on yes. your past, and your history, on your current loves. Yes. And in reality, this the book is really not for my story. It's really so everyone can think about their own stories yes. and that can be a model for them and that can be a oh I can take time on this too it's really to be given away that's why it's there it's really not for me it's so kind the way you write about your own story in some very hard stories your own experiences of abuse your own experiences of neglect your failures as a mom but each story ends with such kindness that there is the invitation then, and, and you literally do invite your reader at that point to reflect on your own story. Or a particular this... question that relates to yeah. what you just read. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It just feels kind and it feels inviting. Oh, I'm so glad. That's, that's the heart. That's what I want. 
I want a heart of kindness. I want each person to have a heart of kindness. This is the only way we grow. It's the only way we come alive and mm. move past our own selfish you know, world. We need to have that kindness. And not only does Jesus invite you to tell your story uh, kindly, but publicly, then he asks you to speak about it. And that feels like the next step of... Yes, I'm feeling sometimes pretty confident about writing, but speaking is a whole new venue. But I do think he, he does call us to speak, to make his story known to others. So it's a privilege. It's just a privilege even to be speaking here in the closet. <laughs> when we each of us have a voice, we have a testimony, we have mm -hmm. a story to tell. Mm -hmm. There's power in that. Mm -hmm. And then in honoring our own, a deeper healing comes, mm -hmm. which allows us to know Jesus in ways that we didn't before, mm -hmm. love others. I think part of the reason we wanted to share this podcast with you all today was because it's easy to look at people in ministry, couples in ministry, and say, oh, well, you know, they're the gifted ones. That's easy for them. And to hear, no, it's, it's actually not. And it can be very, very risky, and especially with our own personal story. You have a voice, friends. Everyone has a voice. And this is an invitation to know your story, put some words to it, share it with others because of the power of it. Becky's book is called Hidden in Plain Sight, One Woman's Search for Identity, Intimacy, and Calling. And we just love sharing our friend Becky Allender with you today. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with John and Stacy Eldridge and our first time guest here, Becky Allender. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, John and Stacy. Thank you, it was great. Yes. <laughs>